Now is the time when we turn to God's Word, so if you brought your Bible with you today, please turn with me to uh, 1 John. Today we are in uh, John's first letter to the church uh, in Ephesus. We are in 1 John chapter 4, and we will begin in verse 7. Um, We talked a little bit in Sunday school today about Jesus teaching with authority, and one of the things we said it meant that Jesus taught with authority is that he did not have to quote his sources because he was the source. I am not that person. And so our outline today does come from Stephen Lawson. Um, as I was studying through this and, and thinking about God's love, I had a lot of information, but nowhere really to hang those, those pieces of information on. And so uh, Dr. Lawson kind of gave us our outline today that helped me order my thoughts. So um, as I use his categories, please keep that in mind. Our scripture today, as I said, is 1 John chapter 4, beginning in verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God's love is. God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. We know that we live in him and he in us because he has given given us of his Holy Spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him and he in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. In this way, love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment because in this world we are like him. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For if anyone does not love his brother whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Let us pray. To the great God who reveals himself to be love, we do ask that you would show us the greatness of your love as we study the height the breadth and the depth of your limitless love. Show us your love as you convict us of sin. Show us your love as you correct us of wrongdoing. Show us your love as you teach us your glorious doctrine. And show us your love as you lead us to righteousness. By the power of the Spirit, in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Our culture has a love problem. Our culture claims to be a culture shaped by love and built upon love, 
But unfortunately, our culture has also publicly redefined what it means to love. For some, love means total and complete acceptance or tolerance. Now, it is a good thing to accept one another. Every human being is created in the image of God and therefore does deserve our respect, does deserve our love, and deserves to be treated with dignity. However, our culture has redefined acceptance and love to mean, leave me alone and just let me do what I want to do, what I think is right. I would argue that is actually not love. To let another human being walk toward eternal destruction because you just really don't want them to feel uncomfortable when they hear truth is not love. For others in our culture, the definition of love has been narrowed to the idea of sexual gratification. From the 1960s on with the sexual revolution and its many variations throughout the decades, the idea is that love is nothing more than who you want to sleep with. For others, I could go on and on, but love is personal fulfillment. That line from Jerry Maguire, you complete me. Or the false idea that loneliness can be cured through love. And all of these cultural definitions of what love is have one thing in common. It's all about me. It's all about my wants. It's all about my desires. And it's all about how I can feel the best about myself or at least think I can feel the best about myself. Unfortunately, there actually is a word for that feeling, that gimme, gimme, gimme type of desire for love that just wants to fill the self and to be an idea of love as selfish fulfillment. And that word is lust. What our world calls love oftentimes is more in line with the idea of lust. Lust is an emotion or a desire that takes Its desire is to consume in order to fill personal wants and hungers. Thanks be to God, though, that that is not how he loves. And it is not how you and I are called to love since we are created in God's image. Love is the total opposite of lust. Love means to give of yourself, oftentimes at great cost. Love means to sacrifice and to set aside our wants and desires our needs for the greater good of other persons, other people. Scripture, our scripture from 1 John says twice, God is love. God doesn't just love. God doesn't just act lovingly. God is love. And that is what we look at today. Today we will look at six categories of what it means for the, to, to say that God is love, and we will look at how those categories, those definitions of God's love should change our lives. First, God's love is an intra-Trinitarian love. Now, what does that mean? Well, our God exists in three persons. One God, three persons who are equal in substance but distinct in personality and in roles and in their roles within the Godhead. Now, this is important for our study of God's love because it lets us know that there is a love that exists between the three persons within the Godhead, and it is a perfect love. It is a complete love, and it is an infinite love. 
In other religions that, that, that don't have a Trinitarian view of God, God cannot love until he then creates an object of love. But our God is Trinitarian. He is three persons in one God, so he is able to love without having to create objects that are the recipients of his love. This is important for us to remember that none of these attributes happen in isolation. They are all intertwined. They are all interwoven. God is self-sufficient. His aseity from week one reminds us that in order for God to be love, God does not need us. But it's important for us to know that God doesn't need us to be loved because it means that the love he showers upon us is totally unconditional on anything that we do, which we'll get to here in a few moments. So how do we know that there is this intra-Trinitarian love between the members of the Godhead? The Apostle John actually highlights this frequently throughout his gospel. In John 1.18, he talks about it. In John chapter 10, verse 7, he speaks of it. In John 14, 9 and 10, he speaks of it. But in John 17, beginning in verse 30, 23, we hear these words. I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given to me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you and they know you and they know that you have sent me. I made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. John throughout his gospel highlights this idea that Jesus says the father loves me and I love the father. There's this love that exists between the members of the Trinity. And in this prayer for the apostles and also for those that would come to faith through the teaching and the writings of the apostle, Jesus says an astounding thing. He says this love, this perfect love that exists between the Son and the Father, the Father and the Spirit, the Spirit and the Son, all the members of the Trinity, he said, I want my followers to experience that love as well. And that opens us to a glorious truth about God's love. Because the purest form of God's love outside of the Trinity is the love that God shows for the unlovable. As we are brought into that inner Trinitarian love, we need to be reminded that we were unlovable when God set his love upon us. Romans 5.8 says that, God shows his love in this way. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What Paul is saying there is that God reached into creation and loved the unlovable. And he showed that love to those who show nothing but hate to him. And that leads us to the second aspect of the definition of what it means that God is love. Not only is God's love intra-Trinitarian, but God's love is sacrificial. How can the unlovable, how can people 
in rebellion against God ever be brought into a relationship where they can experience the perfect love that exists within the Trinity. It is only through the sacrificial act of the cross. I encourage you at some time through this Christmas season as we focus on Luke and we focus on Matthew and the the Christmas accounts and the Gospels, I would also encourage you to take some time to read, to meditate upon Philippians 2, 5 through 11, through 11. Jesus, God the Son, not only sacrificed himself at the cross, but he sacrificed temporarily his position in the throne room of God. Not grasping onto it as something to be held onto, but let go of it for a time. So that he could take on human flesh, so that he could live as a servant, so that he could sacrifice his life for you and I, so that we could have salvation. Love, especially God's love, is a sacrificial, a giving love. Brothers and sisters, this is where the church should most clearly and most boldly differentiate itself and its love from the love that the world has. The world expresses love by saying, gimme, gimme, gimme. What have you done for me lately? God's people should express love by saying, how can I serve you in a way that brings honor and glory to God? What can I give up for you? This love, this sacrificial love looks at other people as human beings, as created in the image of God. How often do you and I write people off simply because they disagree with us on certain things? I am not going to give them the dignity and the respect because they don't like the same restaurants I do. It's usually not that petty. It is usually bigger deals. But still, it is earthly concerns that we deny people the treatment of humans because they disagree with us on things that will pass away. A sacrificial love considers the needs of other people above our own needs. A sacrificial love seeks to set aside our preferences and to reach into the lives of the unlovely and to give them love. God's love is sacrificial. God's love is also infinite. It's intra-Trinitarian. It is sacrificial. It is infinite. You and I have sinned against an infinite God, which means our debt is infinite. And God's love covers even that infinite debt. You know, nothing that you and I could ever do will make God stop loving us if he has chosen to set his love upon us. This is one of the hardest things that I, that I I interact when I interact with fellow Christians. This is one of the hardest things that we we have that it's that we have a hard time grasping. The power of the gospel transforms our lives, sets us apart as God's holy, beloved and chosen children. And because of that, we have the power of the Holy Spirit at work within us, taking the word, the prayer, the sacraments and making us more and more like Christ daily. And part of that process is the Holy Spirit's conviction of where we still fall short, where we need to be made more holy, where we still harbor sin within our lives. 
And the Holy Spirit convicts us of that sin so that we can repent and feel the love and the grace of God more deeply in our lives. But Satan hijacks that process. He jumps in the middle of it and he says, hey, the Holy Spirit convicted you of that sin. Are you sure God loves you? Because how could God love you? Because you still keep sinning. You don't love God well enough, so he must not love you. Brothers and sisters, we're going to look at Romans 8 in a little bit. But brothers and sisters, that is a lie that comes from the pit of hell and smells like smoke. Nothing, nothing, nothing in this world, even your own sin, can ever separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. God's love is infinite. God's love related to God's in the the fact that God's love is infinite, God's love is also eternal. Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 3, we hear these words. God is speaking. He says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Two questions we need to ask. When did God start loving us? And when will God stop loving us? The answer to both is never. Now, I'm not saying God doesn't love you. But God exists outside of time, remember? So before time was even created, before the idea for us in days and hours and minutes even began to exist, God set his love upon you. So there was never a point in all of time past that God didn't love you. And there will never be a point in time future where God will stop loving you. God's love is infinite in its scope and it's eternal in time. And God has always loved you perfectly. Michelle and I will be celebrating our 30th anniversary in May. And I told her on May 14th, 1994, that I loved her. And that love has grown over the 30 years. God doesn't work that way. God in his infinite love, in his eternal love, has always loved you perfectly. And as much as he ever will love you. He can't grow in love for you. He can't wane in love for you. God has always loved you with a perfect love. God's love is eternal. God's love is also volitional. V-O-L-I-T-I-O-N-A-L. God's love is volitional. What does it mean? Well, God's love is driven by his will. God loves those he chooses to love. If we were to go back to our passage from Deuteronomy 7, it opens up with this question from God or this declaration from God. The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other people's. For you were the fewest of all peoples. It was simply because the Lord loved you. There's nothing that you and I can do to make God love us. We cannot obligate God to love us. We cannot force God to love us. God has to choose to love us. This is related to God's sovereignty. And as we apply that sovereignty to God's grace God's sovereign grace teaches us that God sets his love on certain people. Now, let me help you think through this kind of a, from a defense of the faith viewpoint here. 
Typically, we hear something like this, that God only loves those He chooses to love. And the first thing that happens in our mind is we think, oh, that's not fair. God should love everybody. God say, the Bible says God is love. God should love everybody. But remember what we learned a few moments ago. Outside of Christ, you and I are not lovable at all. He is a holy God. He is a perfect God. We are not holy. We are sinful. You and I are unlovable and God is not obligated at all to love anyone. And there is nothing that you or I could do to induce or force God to love us. But God chose to love sinful, unlovable human beings. And so when we hear the truth declared that God's love is volitional, it is according to his will, that should lead us to worship. That should lead us to gratitude. That should lead us to say, truly there but for the grace of God go I. Because I was unlovable, I was undeserving, and yet God chose to set his love upon me. And finally, God's love is a passionate love. Think about the uh, parable of the prodigal son for just a moment. Luke chapter 15. In that parable, the son has wished his father dead. The son has taken his inheritance and he has left and he has basically written off his family. He says, I want nothing to do with my father. I want nothing to do with my family. I'm out of here. He wastes his inheritance. He finds himself eating pig or wanting to eat pig slop. And he says, you know, my servant, the servants at my dad's house have it a lot better than I do here. They at least get a bed, a room and some food. He said, I'm going to go back and I'm going to throw myself on the mercies of my father. And so he heads back home. And what happens? Does dad see him coming and he stands there with his arms crossed and his feet tapping going Yep, you come crawling back here. I'll show you what you're going to get for the, for the hurt and the heartache you caused me. No, the father sees him in the distance. He abases himself. He humiliates himself in the eyes of the world around him by, by hiking up his robe and running down the road. And it says in Luke 15, 20, he says, But while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him was filled with compassion for him and ran to his son and threw his arms around him and kissed him. That's how God looks at his children. Even when we stumble, even when we fall, when the Holy Spirit comes to us and convicts us and we repent and turn back to God, God runs to us, wraps his arms around us in joy and compassion and says, welcome home, my son. Let me restore you to this place of communion with me. And we await the day, brothers and sisters, when our, our brother, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, returns and he takes us into the glorious presence of our God where he will fully and joyfully and compassionately welcome us into the new heavens and the new earth. And we will see the fullness of the joy that his love showers upon us for all of eternity. God is not some God who says he loves us, but loves us in the way that an accountant loves numbers. He is a God who loves us with joy and compassion. Our God is love. 
And our God shows his love through his intra-Trinitarian love, through his sacrificial love, his infinite love, his eternal love, his volitional love, and his passionate love. Knowledge of God leads us to certain things, certain actions within our lives. The first action that we are led to by knowledge of God's love is worship. Now, this is basic of all of God's attributes. The more we know of God, the more we love him, the more we worship him. And the same is true of love. The more we understand God's love, the more we worship God, the more we want to understand God's love. And we are motivated through this circular relationship to growth in knowledge and in worship. Knowledge of God's love should also lead us to rest more confidently in God and also to be more certain of the comforts that we have in this world. Lamentation 3.22, in, in, the, in the literal middle of Jeremiah's lament over the fall of Jerusalem, he says this, he says, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed for his compassions, his love never fails. Brothers and sisters, when, when life is dragging you through the ringer, You can have confidence, you can have rest, you can have security because God's love never fails. And the more you know of God's love, the more you can lament in comfort, the more you can lament in trust and in knowledge. Knowledge of God's love allows us to imitate God in our love. We talked about earlier that one of the most beautiful expressions of God's love is that he reached down into this into creation to love the unlovely. How often do we have opportunity to love the unlovely and yet pass it by because, you know, we don't want to be. Given, you know, we don't want to get dirty, we don't want to be late for our appointment, we don't want to be inconvenienced because they probably smell. Jesus came into this world. He walked the filth of this earth so that you and I could have salvation. And sometimes we lead with the gospel by serving those who are unlovely. And yes, sometimes that means we have to serve those who are unlovely in our very own neighborhood. Regardless of what it does to property values. And knowledge of God's love strengthens us to persevere in our troubles whether that trouble is brought on by our own sin, whether that trouble is brought on by temptation, whether that trouble is brought on by living in a darkened world, we have this truth before us. Romans 8, beginning in verse 38, Paul says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, it's a pretty broad spectrum there, neither death nor life, Neither angels nor demons, on a spiritual level, pretty broad spectrum again. Neither the present nor the future. All right, so nothing in our past, nothing in our future. No powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation. And I would add, including yourself, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. If by the power of the Holy Spirit, we could embrace that truth more and more that God is love, 
how much less difficult would it be to go through the trials and tribulations of this earth? How much less difficult would it be to wrestle and to struggle with our sin? Brothers and sisters, our God is here and our God is love. And nothing can change that in Christ Jesus. Let us pray. To the great God and Father above who is love, may we worship you for that love. May we be changed by that love. And may we show your love to the people around us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And whether we go for fellowship or wherever we go throughout our week, take this blessing upon you. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. Our Lord Jesus says, I am coming quickly, so we pray, come Lord Jesus. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this sermon from Fairly Associate Reform Presbyterian Church. To find out more about our church and its ministries, please find us on Facebook or visit us at www.arpchurchfairly.org. That's www.arpchurchfairly.org. Have a blessed day.